Have you ever read a book and completely missed a major plot point? Maybe you've gone back to watch an older classic movie and realised that it was making some important points that for whatever reason you just weren't ready for the last time you watched it. Or maybe you've had a neighbour you barely know live next to you for a long time only to find out you actually had a lot in common with them years later. Sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us until we're ready. That's how drum corps was for me. So this podcast is about my journey to find drum corps, but it's not just my story. The people that make up the drum corps community, not just in the USA, but across the world are diverse and many find the activity in different ways and at various stages in their lives. For some, drum corps takes a backseat in their lives, but its positive impact remains. Others remain lifelong practitioners and fans. Let's meet the co-producer for this series, Mallory Anderson. Maybe this is just me. I'm sure there are people like screaming at their phones right now, like you should know more about drum corps. But like, I, at least when I was marching, it was a lot of like, I understood my core and I understood how to get through a rehearsal day and I understood how to work hard. And I understood like the key things that I needed to know about drum corps to get me through a summer and to get me through my day-to-day rehearsals, you know, but like, I don't know that I ever really got a chance to do this like really deep dive into the history and like how judging works and the intricacies behind putting together an entire tour season and stuff like that. Like I never like had the brain space for it. Mallory moved to Ireland in 2017 and became a volunteer at a marching band festival I was organising and that's how we became friends. So Mallory, you know my background and how I came to drum corps, but I'm not really sure how you came to drum corps. Where did it all start for you? So I think I found drum corps the same way that a lot of kids in America do in where my band director is actually the one who introduced me, introduced me to the, to the activity. We, it was either after a performance one, one week, or even after a marching band rehearsal, I remember sitting in the band room and, and we would watch old drum corps videos. And these were like VHS tapes. They were old, um, which feels a lot older now, I guess. Um, (laughs) But we would sit and watch VHS tapes of drum corps. And I remember watching the 2003 fan emergement show and just being completely blown away by this performance. Um, I was, I loved the music. I loved the marching. I just loved everything about it. And I was, I was just hooked. And so we had a few kids from my marching, like I was familiar with marching band already. My, my brother marched before me. He's a little bit older than I am. So I'd seen marching band but I'd never seen anything like this before, not at this level. And then we had a few of the kids from my high school marching band go on to march at the Seattle Cascades. Um, I think it was that following summer. And when they came back, they were just so fired up about marching the summer and you know the Cascades and everything that they had done that summer that it was just, that was it. I was absolutely hooked and I had to do this. So before we get into it, As you'll learn, I'm definitely not an expert in all things DCI or drum corps. And although she marched in 2007 and 2008, Mallory is excited to find out more about drum corps from perspectives that she never got to experience. 
There's tons of great podcasts out there with hosts who have designed and instructed and also with fans who have been following the activity for decades. In fact, we'll be chatting with many of them over the next eight weeks. Our goal here is to meet the people that make up this great activity and to listen to their stories. So the first time I actually experienced drum corps was going to my freshman year of high school. I had a band director in eighth grade that would, on those extra days of band, when you've done a concert or end of year, would show videos. So he actually showed us a video of 1989 and the championships in 89. And I remember loving the music to the fan of the opera. I, I absolutely loved hearing that show. That show stuck in my mind forever. Um, but I remember just seeing Vanguard. That was my first experience with Vanguard. And the other drum corps I really loved was the Phantom Regiment from that year. That was Mark Nichols, brass caption head of Santa Clara Vanguard. We'll chat a little later about my own first experience of live drum corps in 2018. But needless to say that the SEV show of that year, Babylon, had me walking on air all the way back to Ireland after finals that year. Mark's own first experience of drum corps is pretty unconventional and shows the impact the activity can have on a young person even years after they marched. I remember some seniors going, hey, there's this drum corps show we're going to go to. Would you like to go? And I was like, what's drum corps? I don't even know what that is. That sounds stupid because I was a freshman and freshmen don't know anything um and so i thought i was you know i thought i knew it all and i was like that sounds stupid the in hindsight in 1991 i'm from dallas the finals were in dallas so i could have literally gone to my first drum corps show oh, as dci finals and seen that show in dallas but instead i was an idiot and missed it <laughs> uh, and then as i finally got into band in high school into marching band saw what it was, I slowly began to learn about it. What, what it was. My freshman year marching show was an old Phantom show. Um, my, it was New World Symphony. Um, my senior show was John Rudder's Gloria, which is an old Cavaliers show. So the more I went through high school, the more I started to really realize what a great thing drum corps was. Um, and my drum major in high school actually marched the troopers and he came back straight from the troopers to be our drum major. And then he tried to run, uh, our marching band, like a drum corps, which didn't go very well. Um, but I, I was really good friends with them. And then he was marching Santa Clara Vanguard in 1996. So my group of friends and I said, we really want to go watch final so we can see him march live and be there for him. So we bought round trip tickets to Orlando to go watch him. Um, so then I'm sitting there and, and my uh, other high school friend, his little sister also tried out and made it as well. So they were both in the front ensemble in 1996 cool. and I was, had plans to go watch them. Well, I got a summer job. I was working at this place called Eckridge drugs. It's um, now CVS pharmacy. Um, yeah. And I would get really bored. And so I would pretend I was working the photo counter and I would call my friends from the photo counter. And if my boss came by, I'd be like, yes, sir, your pictures are ready. And I'd hang up. And they all knew this code and what to do. So I get a phone call late at night. And it's my friend, Kim Springer. 
and Kim goes, hey, Mark, uh, we have this tuba player that got injured. Would you like to come in March? And I'm like, come in March what? She's like, come in March with the Santa Clara Vanguard. I said, don't you have to try out for these things? She's like, yeah, but we have someone that got injured, and they asked if any of us knew a tuba player, and I know you. So I went home, told my parents about it, packed a bag, bought a plane ticket to California, and I already had my one coming home because I had plans to go watch, um, and flew out to California. It was a very surreal experience because I literally knew nobody from the drum corps, and this is all pre-cell phone, pre-all that. Um, So I landed, I grabbed my bag, and at that moment I realized, I'm in California, I know nobody. What if no one's here to pick me up? How would I get home? I don't have money. I have maybe $100 to my name at that point. And this very large gentleman, Damon, who's a drum major, had come to pick me up, picked me up, took me to my first rehearsal. Um, I had never in my life held a contra. I'd only held a speakerphone. And so the first rehearsal I got to was music rehearsal. And they said, here's your instrument. Go stand there. And they did one of these really cool drum core ripples, like you always mm. see, with uh, one end to the other. And it looked so great. And then the ripple got to me. And I never picked this thing up. And it took me, at the time, it felt like 45 seconds to pick up. It probably was, you know, five seconds. But I felt like the idiot. Um, And then someone yelled at me. I don't remember who. Hey, new guy, figure it out. We're going to do that again. And so they tried it again. I got down to like three seconds. And then slowly just figured it out on my own. And March 96, Vanguard, uh, we didn't have dot books back then they just gave you the charts so i sat in the stands for two days of visual rehearsal and they said you see that hole that's your hole memorize it and then one day they said okay get out there so i went out there and ping pong ball between two people and then my first show was the old pacific procession show which was the old vanguard home show way back when and that was the first show i ever marched um we actually beat the Blue Devils that night. It was the only time we beat the Blue Devils in 1996. Um, and then the rest of the summer, I was in there like everyone else. So that was my, my very first. That's the uh, origin story for uh, drum corps for me. Before we get into my own origin story, as Mark puts it, I wanted to find out a little bit more about how my own colleagues in Ireland here usually find out about this activity. For over 25 years, the Irish Marching Bands Association has been supporting and developing the marching arts here in Ireland. The musicians and their bands and corps have been following and inspired by DCI for many years before it was ever on my own radar. I mean, during the 80s and 90s, we had very limited exposure to DCI. Oisín Malloy, chairman of the Irish Marching Bands Association and director of Invermore Performance Ensemble, the first ever Irish corps to go to DCI finals in 2019. Even back in the day when when the exposure was limited to DCI, it, it still was known and it became more known and we had the videotapes and they were getting shared around and all that stuff. And there were actually a handful of Irish people uh, made their way across to do DCI back in, in, in the early 90s, you know. So when did the first Irish people start auditioning for drum corps over in the US and start taking part in the DCI season? Well, don't quote me on this, but as far as I know, the first... Irish person was a lady called Therese McFall. Therese marched with Santa Clara Vanguard. So she was the first. Um, we then had a guy called Ken Walsh. 
and Kendo in a season with Spartans. And then we had, in the last couple of years, we've had a couple of guys from Tala from Vikings and Mullingar Town Band have gone out. And this year, we had one of our members, Abby from Invermore. Was that the first uh, member from Invermore to go out? Yeah, Abby was yeah. the first. Yeah, unfortunately, the COVID-19 mm. put a stop to that. But Abby was our first member to go out. Uh, she was going to be marching with Colts. Um, but she's got her spot for next year. That's um, great. And we've one or two more looking at going out next year as well. And Vikings have one or two members who were scheduled to go out this year as well. So tell me a little bit about your own group, Invermore Performance Ensemble. So Invermore started back in 1992. We were a local community marching band. Um, I literally joined the band because it was what a couple of my friends were doing as a brand new band in town. And uh, none of us had any experience in music or marching or anything like that. So we joined a band and I mean, the rest of it to say is history. Um, I joined as a drummer. So I joined the drum section, done that for about six or eight months. Uh, constantly had my eye on the, the other classes of brass going on. So I made a transition over to the trumpet then and euphonium later. So that's where I started. That was way back in 92. Um, I then went on to uh, become a kind of a junior instructor in the late 90s. And then in 2001, we reformed a fresh cadet band and we've we've grown ever more from there since. So it's 2014 and I get a phone call from a friend and composer, Brendan Breslin. He's just been commissioned to write a new show for a small marching group in Athlone called The Ravens and asks if I'd be interested in helping the group to perform the piece and teach them to read the music. This commission was called My Ireland and the group planned to tour to DCI finals in August that year to perform it. I'd never heard of DCI or of drum corps, but hey, a tour to the US sounded fun and the kids and instructors all seemed great. So on December 27, 2014, I turned up to a gathering of this corps and a guest from the US man named John Denovi, who worked for this organisation, again, that I had never heard of called Drum Corps International. He seemed to really love Ireland and very noticeably, the kids and instructors all seemed to look up to him. We set a date for our first camp in January and four weeks later, I took part in my very first Drum Corps experience. What we instituted that weekend was simply just a process uh, and, and it's what I learned growing up, it's what I taught when I was in the teaching role, and it's what they do today. John is the Senior Director of Global Sales and Business Development for DCI. It's a vital role that sees him working with major partners and sponsors across the world. But John's also a great ambassador for the activity, and a brilliant instructor and educator in his own right. We began that weekend knowing where we wanted to sort of finish up. We had a goal. We wanted to get through X number of pages of drill charts, and we wanted to have mm. so much music uh, moving and, and playing at the same time. Uh, and so we knew, as the staff, we knew what we needed to uh, to, to, to do to get there. Um, because most of the participants that weekend had never done it before. They didn't know. So they had some tough times. They were like, why do we have to work so hard? This is This is killing us. And then they started to realize, okay, if, if we do this, this is what's going to happen. And they started to believe in themselves. Uh, in the beginning, the organizers, the staff, we believed in them more than they believed in themselves. By mm -hmm. the end, they were believing in themselves and they carried it all the way across the line. 
And that's in any situation, whether it's a world championship DCI core or it's a, a first time, you know, group starting out, uh, those t- that concept is the same. You begin with the end in mind, you create a plan, and then you establish, uh, you know, maybe some segment goals along the way, some milestones, which we did. We had Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So by Saturday, we wanted to be, you know, halfway through. By Saturday evening, we wanted to be three quarters of the way. And then we wanted Sunday to put it all together. And by Sunday at 5 p.m., our goal was to do a run through. And that's what, what occurred. And we left there uh, feeling that sense of accomplishment. Uh, and, and that's when we saw the transformation. And for those who don't know the, the group of kids that we had, that program was just a... a, a to, to see what it did for them over that short period of time, uh, to, you mentioned the kids, they stood a little taller. They had a little bit more yeah. confidence. They, they, it, it just, I, I think like, I, I'm not exaggerating to say that was one of the highlights of my career that weekend and to mm-hmm. have shared it with you. And now to see you, uh, so enthusiastic about the activity that now you're, you know, carrying on the torch and you're going to affect and get more people involved. And that's what it's all about. And I hope some of those kids that performed in, participated that weekend will do the same uh mm-hmm. whether it's through the marching arts or maybe that just because they go get a job and they take some of those concepts that we did over the course of that weekend and apply it to you know right maybe when they go into their first job interview they stood a little taller or they had a little more confidence or they believed in themselves they knew that if they put in the work that the, the success at the other at the, on the the other end would be there uh you know so that's what dci gets to do uh, every single day is we get to uh, give uh, those that want to put in the work, get that opportunity to uh, become successful. And um, and we, we just do that over and over and over again. And we've been doing it for close to 50 years. Coming up after the break, what did Drum Corps look like before DCI? And what's it like to not only find Drum Corps, but to be born into it? Finding Drum Corps is brought to you by DCI Experience Tours. Whether you're a fan, alumni, or a music educator looking to bring your students on an experience that they'll never forget, DCI Experience Tours have packages for everyone who plans to come to DCI Finals. DCI Experience Tours are hosted by Keith Kelly, host of the Finding Drum Corps podcast and operated by Celtic Horizon Tours. With over 25 years experience in individual and group travel, Celtic Horizon Tours will make sure that you have the best possible experience to suit your needs. Join Keith and the DCI Experience team for exclusive backstage access, VIP dinners, rehearsal walkthroughs, and much more. To see what we're putting together for 2021, or to start working on a custom performance and education tour for your students, head over to CelticHorizonTours.com forward slash DCI Experience, or find us on social media at DCI Experience Tours. That first camp had got to me. Seeing the kids light up over the course of three days, and with many tough moments in between, had me fascinated to find out more. Thank God for Google and YouTube. 
My experience of the marching arts to this point, don't forget, had been military bands, of which I was a member. I had definitely never heard anything like this. to really involve electronics in what we do. Um, and so, you know, and some of the things that we did in our 2010 show, Metropolis, really moved the needle from an electronic standpoint. So it was right about then, I think you could say, that we started to uh, experiment and try different things. And then really 2013, 2014 is when we kind of went all in on it and really decided to make innovation and trying different things and taking risks, especially part of our identity. David Glasgow, former executive director of the Bluecoats. 2014's Tilt was the first show that I came across when I started my own journey, and I immediately went down a rabbit hole. It was also an introduction to the ever-present debate on tradition, which we have in abundance in the military, and innovation. Other cores and DCI and, 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 and judges and so on seem to get a, a lot of backlash for their innovation. Bluecoats don't ever seem to get that backlash. For some, now, maybe I'm wrong. They probably do get some. But for the most part, everyone seems to have support the Bluecoats for their innovation. Why do Bluecoats get that support? What do you guys do differently that maybe others maybe maybe don't well, that's to get a, that sort of fan support? That's a very good question. Uh, that's a very good question. To me, I think what it is is that two things first that we we tend to always start with great music and we trend we tend to no matter how much innovation we look at or how many new things we try we want to make sure that we still focus at the end of the day on good music that people are really going to enjoy right. um and so i think that's that's a big part of it so any 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 show that we've had with innovation usually it's been coupled with music that's just been exciting you know outstanding mm -hmm. and so i think that's one reason the other thing is, is we really do try to, within that idea of innovation, we, we try to come up with ideas that we think people will like, uh, we think people will enjoy. We, we definitely, you know, one of our goals is to be the fan favorite. There's no doubt about it. And so we try to, you know, we, that's kind of the lens that we see all of our innovation through is, is trying to do something that we think people will be excited about. So um, it's easier said than done. I will say that too, you know, and part of it comes down to having the right mix of designers, you know, all in the right, right room together uh, that can, that have the right mix of, of talent and ability and experience to be able to, you know, actually pull those things off. It's, it's one thing to say, Hey, uh, we're going to be innovative. It's another thing to actually, you know, be able to do it. And, and that's a really credit to the, to the design team. And then the instructors and the students that actually make it all come to life. What I've found is that innovation and tradition are both very important to modern drum corps. Cores and shows can skew one way or the other from one year to the next. So where does the tradition of drum corps come from? I started in drum corps in the 60s, 1960s. Uh, my, uh, my aunt uh, and uh, cousins were involved in a winter guard uh, and they heard of this group that was in this neighborhood that we, my family was moving into. 
called the Queen City Cadets. And it was a drum and bugle corps. And they said, you ought to check that out. That's Dan Atchison, CEO of Drum Corps International. We're going to get into the history of Drum Corps and DCI in the next episode. But I wanted to talk to Dan about his moment of finding Drum Corps and hearing that sound for the first time. My second oldest brother, Norm, goes to the first rehearsal, his first rehearsal, and uh, fell in love with it. Uh, came home with a bass drum, which uh, excited my parents. Um, my, <laughs> oldest, my oldest brother at first said, oh, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't look like anything interesting to me. Uh, at about two or three rehearsals in, uh, my oldest brother, Paul, started marching. Uh, and then, uh, oh, probably weeks after that, my brother Tom uh, started marching in the Queen City Cadets. So all of a sudden, mom, dad, and my three older brothers were all involved in this group. I was maybe eight years old at the time. And uh, of course, being uh, drug around, uh, following my three brothers with my mom and dad. And then eventually, uh, I, I guess I was old enough at age 11 to march. Uh, so uh, I started marching uh, because my three brothers were in. Uh, tried out for the percussion section. They gave me some cymbals. Uh, the percussion instructor very politely uh, <laughs> sent me over to the horn line to play baritone uh, because I could not keep time to save my life. Uh, <laughs> So we went from there. Uh, my dad turned uh, over several years, became the chairman of the board of directors for the Queen City Cadets. And my mom was the super chaperone uh, on trips and so forth and helping out in any way she could. And uh, back then it was, you know, very community based drum corps. There were 11 kids from my cul-de-sac uh, road uh, that were in this local drum. Right. So uh very, very community. And uh, we just had a lot of fun and competed. And then uh, after six years of marching there, I followed my brother Tom to the Madison Scouts. Cool. And uh, from there it went. What was your first time sort of standing in front of that big brass line? Like, Can you remember the first time? Because so many people sort of talk about that first time that they, you know, they get their face melted away from their body, you know. Can you remember the first time that you heard a huge brass uh, brass line like that playing? Yeah, it was, uh, I was in drum corps for a while before I really appreciated this, right? Mm. I, I, I hopped into a car with my three older brothers and we were in the Cincinnati area and about three hours north is uh, Bowling Green, Ohio to see a show. Uh, and it was a show with a couple of Midwest acts in it. And it was in 1972, earlier in the season. And uh, I'll never forget the Desplaines Vanguard from Desplaines, Illinois. Uh, they had just a terrific show, a controversial show, uh, because they, they had a fight scene in the show. So they yeah. kind of broke the ranks from the, you know, kind of the military style that drum yeah. corps was and into a little bit more of a Broadway show style. And, hmm. uh, you know, it was, it was a terrific uh, uh, performance too and certainly turned out well for them as they made finals that year in the very first DCI tell but, me that's uh, 1972 Dan was there yes. any fans giving out that that's not what drum corps should be oh absolutely well they had <laughs> had a chance to do that in 71 with the Madison Scouts and the Cavaliers having uh, 
costumes and things like that in their shows. So yeah, it was the the activity was coming to an end. I assure you. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a great time, innocent innocent time in drum corps, right? As we like to believe all years are. <laughs> Throughout the series, we're going to be exploring many topics, including the evolution of the activity, how the season and tour work, what's it like to audition for a drum corps, and how a show is brought to life. We'll also be talking to many of the people involved in the community, including performers, fans, instructors, and judges. And one common question that will come up time and time again is, how did you find drum corps, and how has it impacted you? Of course, there's going to be a lot of different answers to that question, but one that becomes more and more common as drum corps grows and passes from one generation to the next is that you don't find drum corps. Drum corps finds you. I definitely do not remember the first drum corps performance I went to. Um, I have pictures of me in bass drum cases when I was a baby. My parents said that that was the only place that I would fall asleep is in a bass drum case in front of the battery. That's John Meaton, brass caption head and a ranger for the Blue Devils. Um, I also have a picture of me next to Jim Jones, who was the founder of the Troopers in Glenwood Springs when I was like five. So there's there's a there's these memories that I have, but I don't really remember the first performance. Now I do have something that sticks out. When I was ten, my dad was teaching the Blue Devils, but he was also teaching the freelancers that year, and uh, so I would go with him to go to freelancer rehearsals and he would let me sit in the center of the circles, you know, when they would do rehearsals or sectionals or something like that. And I remember it was 1980 or 1981. And I remember the freelancers had this amazing trumpet feature, soprano feature at the time. And my dad was working it in the sectional in the circle. And I just remember listening to that and going, this is amazing. You know, like just, just the feeling of these 24 people playing together you know, this one section, great music. It had this crispness to it. And uh, I remember that being something that I was very fond of, you know, as a 10-year-old um, at that time. And then similarly, Blue Devils, when I became in the Sea Corps, uh, I was a member of the Sea Corps for three years before I started to move up into the ranks and eventually into the A Corps. And I remember when I was in the Sea Corps and we'd go to family day, being able to to kind of be performed to directly by the A Corps and the B Corps, I remember that being pretty influential in my life. Tell me a little bit about the Blue Devil C Corps, John. Not every corps is lucky enough to have two corps, let alone three. What was it like back in the 70s marching with the Blue Devil C Corps? My, my dad got hired to come to the Blue Devils in the fall of 1978. So we were out here for the 1979 season. And at that time, uh, the Blue Devils had the A Corps, the B Corps, mm-hmm. and a Drum and Bell Corps. So they had those three basic um, groups. Uh, In 1980, my dad wanted my brother and I to start getting involved in the activity. So he asked if they could add brass players to the drum and bell corps. And so basically, I was the first horn player of the C corps. (laughs) You know, we went to that first practice. It was my brother and I and my dad. 
and and then we started building up and had i think probably like 16 horns maybe that first year and we played on just straight g bugles no valves no anything else nice. it was just one pipe and so my dad wrote these songs uh, i remember stop gap and the roaring 20s and revelry and we played you know taps we played all the things that you could play just on the typical overtone series Mm-hmm. So, but no, it was, it was an amazing experience because I was being able to do drum corps at such a young age while, you know, also being in school and playing little league baseball and, you know, and still doing all these other activities. Um, you know, but, but again, like I said earlier, it was normal to me, like being part of drum corps was something I, I thought was just something I should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being able to be in the C Corps that early, it gave me that opportunity and it was pretty awesome. It must have been a great bonding experience for both you and your dad to be able to spend a drum corps season like that. Well, when I was in the C Corps and the B Corps, you know, he would go away for almost seven, eight, nine weeks uh, throughout right. the summer. So that was always, you know, that was always different. But again, because it started when I was so young, it was it was like, OK, that's what's expected. In the summer, dad disappears for two months you right. know? And, then he, and then he comes back a lot darker because he's been suntanned. <laughs> so um, but no, but my mom's birthday was in July. And so we would always celebrate that around a drum corps show. And there was just a lot of family activities that were kind of built around the summer. We would you know, always make sure that family vacations would go somewhere that maybe dad was with the corps. And, and that kind of thing. And then when I got on into the A-Corps, you know, I was touring with my dad. So, it, it, mm. you know, that was definitely an experience that I had that not a lot of other people had was that every day I, I saw one of my parents, you know, on True. the drum corps tour. And so that was always interesting. So if I ever ran out of money, you know, everybody else would struggle <laughs> and I'd just be like, dad, I need 20 bucks, you know? So uh, not that he would always give it to me, but um Right. You know, so that was interesting. And then and then great opportunities when you have free days on tour with your parents like that. You know, I got in 1986, I got to go to Central Park in New York and see Leonard Bernstein conduct, you know, wow. in the park with the with my dad, you know, and that's an experience that without drum corps, we would never have had something like that. So, you know, it, while, while there were, you know, bummers by not having him home all the time um there were those experiences that got created because i did get to go on tour with him So that's our first episode. Um, When I was thinking about this episode and thinking about what I wanted to do, I mean, the idea behind it was that the podcast was called Finding Drum Corps. So I wanted to start the first episode with that sort of idea in mind. Mm -hmm. And I've been really interested in finding like that. There's actually a lot of, you know, it's not just people sort of being told by their band director what drum corps is. I mean, that is the case for many people. Like, I mean, you included. Uh, Yeah, myself included for sure. Yeah. Yeah, but like we even within that, there's there's lots of different stories to tell. You know, yeah, I mean, there, I don't... there's no true 
one road to drum corps. Like everybody finds it in a different way. Definitely. And when you start bringing in sort of international people into that equation as well, it's like people are finding this activity at so many different times in their lives. I mean, I just thought Mark Nichols' story was really interesting because on the face of it, it's that sort of typical story of his band director showing him a VHS tape. But then what happened then after that, you know, I know you start doing the deep dive into his story and he gets going. You're like, oh, oh, wait, someone just like hucked you into the deep end and was like, good luck. (laughs) Ping pong around. I've I've never heard that term before. I don't know whether it's commonly used, but I really liked it. Yeah. He he ping ponged around between two dots. (laughs) Yeah, truly. And I can't even I think wasn't he saying that he didn't have a dot book as well? Yeah. So he just, it's like learning music by rote. They're like, watch that hole, stay inside that hole. Like <laughs> That's the most terrifying concept to me. And he was like, yep, yeah, well, that's how I did drum corps. And I, mean, I mean, I don't know whether I came across on, on the interview uh, for this episode, but what's interesting is, and what we will hear later, is that he, he then went and had quite a number of years where he wasn't involved in the activity, but yeah. it had impacted him so much that he came back many, many years later and he was instructing with Bluecoats and now in Santa Clara Vanguard with one of the most successful brass lines mm-hmm. in the in the activity. So, um, yeah, I just, I just thought that was a really interesting story and contrasted yeah. completely then with, I mean, his counterpart on the West Coast with John Meaton. Oh, geez. Yeah, who was, like, born into it. Yeah. Sleeping, like, sleeping in bass drum. drum. <laughs> 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 yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I, it's it just goes to show like there's no right or wrong way to come come to the activity. No, and like I mean, it kind of reminds me like my own son is learning clarinet now. Like me, sorry to all those brass players out there, but yes, I am a woodwind we'll player. To mellow, don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> and like he's just been hanging around bands his whole life, and he's totally into it, and he's totally bought into it. And uh, you know, hearing John's story is kind of is it's, it's really nice for me to hear that as a dad. You know that 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 John yeah. really loved to have that experience with his dad. Yeah, and he, I I really liked hearing his take on essentially you know being on tour with his dad and having those experiences that Mm. he that's so like so many kids on tour will never get to have and he had such a unique wonderful experience with his parents being able to tour with them I I don't know I thought that was really cool I mean always really handy to be able to ask your parents for pocket money too I know can I have 20 bucks (laughs) (laughs) I would have loved that on a free day hey Bob so So our next episode is uh, all about the history and evolution of drum corps. Now, as a non-alumni, as someone that didn't uh, that only that only came to this activity in recent years, um, I am going to be completely relying on you and your experience and knowledge of the history of this. You're going to be able to help me out with that, right? So I have some confessions to make. <laughs> I feel like this is the part of drum corps that I'm truly flying blind on. Like I, right. I think I said before, like I, I know, great. I knew enough to get through rehearsals and like survive tour, but I never really took, and maybe, you know, maybe this is my bad. I never took the opportunity to learn about like <laughs> the history of drum, drum corps since the 1970s. And so I'm really looking forward to the next episode and getting a chance to talk to all of these people about how the activity evolved and like how we got to where we are now. It's going to be super 
book, yeah. yeah. I mean, look, and, and you know, like, uh, obviously I asked the question with a, with a certain amount of tongue-in-cheek as well. Like, I mean, because uh, I totally get it. You, you don't know how to, you don't need to know how to build a computer in order to work the computer really, really well. Exactly. You know? uh, and, and I think probably drum corps is the same. You know, a lot of people... Uh, really love uh, the idea of performing in drum corps, or um, they, they and they practice really hard. But you know, you know, they've probably never had any reason to really sort of look into the history of their core or into the activity, yeah. or why is the judging system the working the way it works now compared to the way it worked in the seventies? So, like um, when you're yeah. in the core, unless unless it is like that history and that knowledge is distributed to you by the core you're in. Like I would say that I know a decent amount of history about the cores that I was in, mm. but about DCI as a whole, that's where like I, I'm out. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like it is such an important topic to the activity too, because really again, because that, that tension that sometimes exists between tradition and innovation and i mean that's a topic that's going to come up again and again through these through these episodes Mm -hmm. but um knowing the history and why that tradition exists in the first place is probably you know a really big part of that so uh, again i mean having my first show that I've ever witnessed was Tilt and the first show that I ever seen live was like Shadow. Yeah, 2018. Like 2018 was the first time that I seen live drum corps then. So like I really don't have any uh, background on the history of this. So I'm really looking forward to the next episode. Yeah, same. Okay, well, see you on the next one. So bye. Bye. Well, that's it for our first episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and you're for joining me on this journey over the next eight weeks. Next week, we'll be digging into the origins of drum corps and how it's evolved over the past century. A sincere thank you to all of this episode's guests. Mark Nichols, Ushin Malloy, John Denovi, David Glasgow, Dan Acheson, John Meehan, and of course, my co-producer, Mallory Anderson. Thank you as always to my friends at DCI for their support and encouragement with this project. If you've enjoyed the show, I would really encourage you to head over to dci.org and if you can, make a donation to the hashtag MarchOnFund or to your favourite core or SoundSport team this summer. Until the next episode, March On! Finding Drum Corps is produced by the Global Band Room, a podcast where we chat to band directors and musicians from across the world. If you liked this episode, make sure to subscribe. Finding Drum Corps is available on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about Finding Drum Corps and all of our incredible guests, follow us at The Global Band Room on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.